I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast, expanding access to high-speed internet. It's a trendy cause that the COVID-19 lockdowns and school closures made urgent. And when government acts with urgency, bad ideas proliferate. In broadband, the bad idea is municipal government control of the broadband network. Joining me to discuss the drawbacks and problems with this approach are my colleague Parker Thayer and Jarrett Skorup from the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. Uh, welcome back, Parker. Uh, Jarrett, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your work at Mackinac? Sure. So I've been at the uh, the Mackinac Center as a free market economic think tank. We're in Michigan. We do mostly Michigan policy. Um, I'm our uh, senior director of marketing and communications. I've been here for uh, 13 years, worked in just a variety of roles um, and mostly in the communications realm where I cover a lot of different policy areas. I am our policy lead on broadband and technology work. And that's something that's become of increased interest as we've uh, just seen with COVID and with more federal funding in that area. So what's going on? What is the whole idea with municipal broadband? And I guess also why is Michigan doing it? Yeah. So uh, the, this actually, uh, for those who, who were involved in the policy realm might remember back in the Obama stimulus years, that was kind of the first time where, uh, the government and a lot of counties and municipalities got involved in subsidizing internet. And it's a, it's an interesting thing to go back and read. Then, um, there were some cities that tried to build, build out their own networks. The vast majority of these uh, did not hit their projections. They're they're failing financially. A lot of them got sold off. Um, it's funny going back and so reading them hold, now hold, because hold they on. talk about so. Yeah, what's the the alternative? I guess if you have municipal control of broadband, that's one approach. What's the other approach? The the which I'm going to call the default approach. The default approach is private actors, private companies going out, laying wire, building these, uh, providing services uh, for people, which is, you know, the vast, the way the vast, vast, vast majority of people uh, get internet service in this country. That's, that, that's, that's interesting to bring up. So uh, as opposed to the, the free market solution to this, what are the, you know, what are the success rates we've seen at, you know, you're an expert in Michigan, um, but across the country with these, the government broadband systems, are, are they working, um, you know, about the same, uh, you know, worse, better than uh, a private solution to, uh, you know, obviously uh, internet access is extremely sometimes difficult to obtain in rural areas. Um, are, are these government systems good at solving that problem? They're not good at solving the problem. So th- there's, and there's, there are a variety of studies where we look at what are the what were they projected to do and how well did they do that job? And we should kind of separate two things. There is, there are these areas that are really rural um, where they're hard to reach. Where you know we we're probably not going to see high speed internet there without some type of government help. And we can debate about what that is. The issue that we're seeing now is that a increasing number of of these governments, these, these cities that are trying to build are in areas where you do have multiple providers that want to provide service or are providing service. And the government is coming in and overbuilding on top of that. And that's where the areas where you really have a really high fail rate in terms of 
meeting their financial projections. So are these are these government systems are they are they profitable for are, are they generating revenue or are they mostly uh, you know taking up tax dollars? When the cities come in, they make projections about here's the percentage of people we think are going to sign up for service. Here's how much revenue we're going to be. Here's how much we think we can charge for service. And in all of those areas, most of the time, as in 80, 90% of the time, they do not hit those projections, which means taxpayers have to come uh-huh. in and backfill for the money, or they ultimately just have to solve the system because uh, they can't, you know, they'd essentially go through bankruptcy if they weren't a government entity. Wow. So can you people end up paying for it twice. That's yeah. How widespread are government give... broadband systems? Yeah, it depends what we mean by that. Um, there, there's about um, you know somewhere between fifty and hundred where it's actually a city that fully owns the system. Um, but there's also where you know maybe a city will enter with one private provider, um, and they'll they'll give them help on that. Um, so we track this a couple different ways. Um, most of the work has been on the ones where the city actually is the one building it, owning it, trying to do the marketing, trying to set the uh, actually uh, deliver the service for people, take your payments, and that that kind of thing. Jared, Jared, I have a I have a quick question. Uh, yep. So, what municipalities have been were kind of the the first movers on this, and do you guys have like case study on how it's gone for them? Well, so nationally during the Obama stimulus year, so we're talking uh, oh, 2008, 2009, 2010 era, um, it was a lot of small towns, counties, rural communities that first kind of got involved. And uh, most of those are now have gone over to private entities. They've, they've sold them or else they've gotten out of that business. And it's an amusing thing to go back and read then because they're talking about like, by 2015 or 2020, we'll get five megabits per second of speed. I mean, at the time, that sounded great. Uh, it's, it's it's laughable now. I mean, you, you wouldn't accept that in almost any area of the country. Um, then you have some larger cities. Um, so Chattanooga, Tennessee is one of the larger cities that, that put in a broadband network. Um, the Kentucky, the state of Kentucky tried to lay out um, its own system, almost covering the entire state. That's known as Kentucky Wired. It's kind of infamous. Um, it lost uh, more than a billion dollars. Um, it's still, it took, it, it was years delayed. Um, by the time it, it got going, the technology was almost obsolete. Um, so, so most of these were really rural ones. There are a couple that were moderately successful. Chattanooga would be in that route. And then there was Kentucky, which tried to do this on a statewide, which was probably the biggest failure. Wow. So it sounds like these are... Uh on the whole, pretty unsuccessful. Um, but you, you said that, uh, and I, I'm looking at a recent article of yours that says that uh, the city of Holland in Michigan uh, is, is voting to uh, start this sort of program. It, it, with these things being so unsuccessful, why, why do cities keep pushing? Who is uh, encouraging cities to do this? It's a great question. Um, to, to a point that uh, you made it kind of at the beginning, Parker, there are some rural areas of Michigan that, that really have minimal coverage in which the townships are, they're going before voters and saying, we want high-speed internet, let's subsidize it. I'm sympathetic to that. I don't agree with necessarily how they go about doing it. I'll provide my input on those, but I understand it. They really want service. They have none, and especially when COVID happened, that was a really big deal increasingly now in Michigan, we're seeing areas like Traverse City, Holland, uh, suburbs of Detroit. These are areas where you have 
three or four providers. Um, they already offer really high speeds. Traverse City offers gigabit internet service, which is why the government said they want to go in and do this. And they're getting pushed by this by um, a variety of interest groups who stand a profit off, or, off of this. So they come in and say, we're going to do a report. We're going to show you what you really need. Oh, by the way, maybe hire us to do some of the marketing, to find the firms, kind of a subcontractor to find the firms to build it. Um, they often will get a city commissioner on board. They'll get the local chamber of commerce on board and they'll say, hey, this is an economic development tool. We really, really need this. And so it's well-intentioned local people, but they're being taken for a ride by people who stand up and make a lot of money. Hmm. How is federal either federal strings that come with federal funding to states and localities or federal rulemaking, uh, you know, affecting how these municipal broadband policies and how they're, how they're being implemented. I mean, we saw hmm. uh, some organized labor groups, uh, CWA, Communications Workers of America, uh, you know, touting that the Biden administration's infrastructure legislation requires consultations with organized labor. Um, you know, how are, how are those federal conditions affecting uh, these broadband policies as they go into effect? Great question. There's a massive federal bill, uh, both kind of the COVID relief funding bills, but also a, the infrastructure bill that devotes tens and tens of billions of dollars to broadband expansion. The early versions of that were horrendous. They required things like union labor. They, they pushed that these would all be done by public entities. Um, they had these speed goals that were really unrealistic and unnecessary. Thankfully, by the time it actually got passed, I still don't think the bill was that great, but it got rid of a lot of those things. And so the, the issue now is there's just so much money going out to local governments that broadband is an easy area to say, well, what else are we going to do with all this extra spending we have? And instead of concentrating um, the direct money they got on what I would say is more core government services, their roads or other public uh, public goods, they've now started expanding into these areas like broadband. And some of the money, if you do get a direct grant, grant for broadband, obviously you should apply for that. You should spend the money. And I try to walk through when I hear from people about how to actually spend that money in the most efficient way possible and not add those, go along with those types of strings that were, were talked about in early versions of the bill. Parker. That's no, that that's, that's very interesting. Um, I see one of the, one of the great quotes that you have in a recent article of yours uh, talks about how uh, using uh, targeted subsidies rather than uh, building a whole new network uh, is, is the way to go on this. You just mentioned the, the direct grants for, um, for uh, broadband systems from the federal government. Um, but it, you, you make a great point that's uh, food is more important uh, in, in the article. It says food is more important than broadband internet, but to provide food to people who need it and can't get it, the government doesn't build its own grocery stores. It uses food stamps. That's, I think that's an excellent point. Um, particularly, you know, and that applies universally to thing, uh, you know, things like pu public schooling and healthcare, um, you know, s targeted subsidies tend to work a lot more uh, than these, uh, you know, the sweeping, uh, uh, subsidies programs, um, you know, in this, in Michigan, uh, where, where you're working at, um, have you seen a, a difference between, uh, you know, uh, systems where they, they use this targeted, um, you know, specific grant money for that 
you know, uh, subsidizing private companies that already exist? Are, are cities doing that instead of going uh, full on uh, government broadband? And, and are those cities doing better than, say, just pure private uh, Internet companies uh, providing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um so I did a report, uh, which we just called a toolkit for local officials on broadband, and they are often just surprised to know there are all, there are federal programs out there. If you're low income, you can get uh, all of or a large chunk of your Internet paid for. And that is like almost like a, a food stamp program. We subsidize that. They go to a private provider. They get the system. They're hooked up. A lot of school districts did this during COVID. Um, they discovered the program was enhanced. It was backfilled and they were able to go out and do it. Well, when I talk to local officials, I say, all right, let's talk about the problem you're actually trying to solve. Let's talk about what you should do. So number one, you should look at what your local regulations are for broadband. If you tell me you want, I want more broadband, I want more high-speed internet. All right, well, what do you have? Do you make it difficult to cross right away? Do you have extra taxes? Do you have poll fees? Almost every city has these types of things. Um, you should clear a lot of that away if you really say this is a vital service. This is like water or electricity, which is a claim a lot of them make. Okay, well, let's make it really easy for people to get. The next thing is let's foster competition among local providers. Not everybody loves their internet provider. And the reason uh, they don't love their internet provider as much as they might like their grocery store is that in the grocery section sector, there's a ton of competition. We need to figure out ways to do that in the broadband system. You need to lower right-of-way fees. You mm -hmm. need to make it easy for new entrants to get into the marketplace. Um, avoid a one-size-fits-all technological solution. A lot of governments are really fixated on, we need to lay wire running out to people's homes in order to provide service. Um, my parents, um, I'm, I'm from rural Illinois. Uh, my parents just moved from rural Illinois to rural Indiana. They did not have high-speed broadband. It made no sense to run a wire all the way out to where they lived. It would have cost tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Their solution was having um, uh, kind of their own Wi-Fi router mm -hmm. running through a, a cell phone service that provided high-speed internet service. Offering that up to these rural townships or subdivisions is a much better technological option than what's been doing. And then at the end of the day, to your point, if you do have specific people that you need to offer subsidies for, the elderly, low income, or they're just in an area where they're not going to see a provider, then okay, spend a lot less money on subsidizing a private provider to go out to them than you would on building yeah. your whole own network. So it, it sounds a lot like the, the broadband uh, internet the situation of rural areas is often a product of uh, you know the regulatory environment they've created for themselves. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are some rural communities that make it very expensive or difficult to run wires or build or cross roadways, um, especially at the county level. And if you're doing that, then I, I think you're not really uh, serious about providing service to people. Um, but the, the, unfortunately, the route that a lot of places going, so Traverse City, Michigan, north of where I live, that, it's kind of a mid-sized city in northern Michigan, um, highly educated population, relatively wealthy, kind of surrounded by really rural areas, they've, they've gone the opposite, which is what more cities are doing nowadays. So they didn't do anything about their regulations. They actually had companies come in and say, it's too highly regulated. It doesn't make sense. They denied permits to companies to come in and lay their own wire to provide service. Um, they said, okay, we're just going to build our own network through our energy provider. So they did so. Um, and here we are, we're, we're three to four years into this. 
They are half their projections of the number of people who signed up. They're less than half of the revenue they said that they'd bring in. Um, they're a year behind where the build is at. And at the end of the day, even for the people they are offering service for, their prices are almost identical to the local providers already. So we spent tens of millions of dollars on this network that's already needed two bailouts and they haven't been able to do it because they didn't want to do a lot of the basic work at the beginning. They were incessant on starting their own network. And I think lots of other cities are going to be doing that with all the federal money coming in, unfortunately. All right. Uh, So I guess one last question before, um, before we go, you mentioned that a lot of these programs are sort of backed by interests that stand to profit. Uh, what are some of those outside groups? I mean, maybe if we want to use Traverse City as an example or pick a better one, if there's a better one. Yeah, in Traverse City, uh, it's a group called Fujitsu, which is essentially a technology company, but they also offer some marketing services and things like that. And the irony of, of that is that was one of the groups that was involved in the Kentucky Wired program, uh, which wasted um, wow. hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and, and ultimately built a very poor network. And so a group like Fujitsu or some of these other groups will come in and offer their services to the city. Um, the city doesn't has commissioners that don't really have the expertise to know um, how good of a job they're going to do. They give them a contract for it, usually just to say, well, how many people are interested? And then there's no repercussions if they overshoot the assumptions that are built into the report. And and local officials just aren't really set up to analyze or deal with that. And so we see this happen repeatedly again and again and again. And I often get calls from local officials saying, um, you know, how do I respond to this? Because I have my chamber coming in saying we really need high speed internet and no young person is going to live here without it. And then I have to explain, here's how to do all the tough work that's actually required. If you want uh, better internet uh, and more people to come to your, to your city without putting wow. your taxpayers. Sounds on like the there's a network of professional bridge salesmen going around the country. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. In this and many other areas of government. So uh, anything else either of uh, y'all would like to mention before we let you go? Maybe Parker go first. The last thing I'd mention is that this is coming to a city near you. There's so much infrastructure money um, that a lot of cities will want to be spent. There's so much federal money. This is the most money uh, anyone has ever had in the history, almost no matter whatever town you live in. um, And local officials should really watch out of it watch out for it, and figure out better ways to use tax dollars more Well said. Thank you for joining us, Jared. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks thanks again to my colleague Parker Thayer and Jarrett Skorup of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. 